0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening to uh, the book of Psalms and turning to Psalm 132. Psalm 132, and this is found on page 519 in the Church Bibles. This says the heading... A Song of Ascents. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob I will not enter my house or get into my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Epiphrath, We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints with shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. When someone swears, uh, they are saying something with great intensity. By saying swear, I mean not uh, swearing in a profane manner, not speaking and uh, taking the Lord's name in vain or something of the sort. But when someone swears uh, to tell the truth, they are trying to intensify the reliability of what they are saying. Uh, We uh, may swear things uh, to give credibility to, Uh, to the reliability of what we are saying. We do that with respect to things in the past. When someone goes to court, they might uh, swear. uh, uh, Traditionally, they would put their hand on the Bible and they would swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. They were trying to emphasize that what they were saying was a faithful record of what they had seen so that others would know what had happened in the past. We swear then to give uh, uh, certainty about a matter and to underscore uh, the, the severity of our words. We also swear with respect to the future. Uh, sometimes people uh, will be asked to swear uh, to follow through on someone's final wishes. Uh, perhaps a loved one is dying And they might ask you to carry out their final wishes for them. And they may ask you, swear to me that you will do that. And they ask you to swear to do it because they want to be able to have rest in the fact that what they're concerned about will be addressed. They're asking you to swear so that they can have confidence in your word. When people swear, then, it is trying to give certainty, That this is true. This evening we are going to be looking at a psalm about two oaths and how we are to be shaped and how we are shaped by these oaths. But these oaths not only give a certainty of purpose, they give a reliability of how we are to live in response. We have been looking at these collection of psalms. We've called them the Songs of Ascents, and they are a collection that all have that common heading in them. And by now, you may have noticed another key feature of these psalms. They're all short. These psalms, uh, for all their variety of themes, are very short and memorable. Uh, They're only a few verses long, with the exception of psalm 132 it is a long delay here in this psalm uh, as it gives more attention this psalm is more than twice as long as any other psalm in this collection and appropriately so because it is wanting us to delay our attention as we think about what has god promised so that we would understand how the life of faith is ultimately anchored What is it that keeps the life of faith going? It is the importance of what God has said. And this evening we want to see that because God has sworn an oath, we are to live trusting in the outworking of God's promise. That is the life of faith. That is the journey through this life that the believer takes. God has sworn something and therefore I press on. And so we want to look at this psalm basically as the psalm is laid out. We want to think about the oath of David. And then secondly, we want to think about the oath of the Lord himself. The oath of David is really the first half of this psalm. It is verses 1 through 10. But you notice it begins there uh, by calling attention uh, to David. In verse 1, it says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships that he endured. Uh, It calls attention to something of David's own experience and saying that asking the Lord to call into remembrance these things, that they would not be forgotten or to be in vain. It goes on in verses two and following. It highlights that David swore to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, the powerful one of Jacob the one who has sovereignty over all things. David made a vow, an oath uh, to this God. And what was that oath? He swore to the Lord and he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. A dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David had a burden in his life that a place would be established for the Lord, that God would be given the priority that he deserves, that he would be glorified by the people of God, and that he would be centered in the life of Israel. Now, if you read through your Old Testament, if you read through the book of Samuel, if you read through the book of Chronicles, you won't actually find an oath where David says a vow like this, but it does describe how David had that desire, and this psalm is really capturing that zeal. Uh, This wasn't a passing thought in David's mind. This was something that David was passionately resolved to do. David was going to make sure this happened, and you remember that he he had uh, inquired, he had shared this desire with Nathan, and Nathan had told him, go and do, the Lord is with you only to then hear that this was not something that the Lord himself had sanctioned. And instead, it would be something that his son Solomon would ultimately bring to pass. It would be Solomon who would establish uh, that house. But when, when David became king, if you remember as we went through the book of Samuel, when David became king and leader over Israel, he sought to correct the wrongs that had taken shape. It tells us that in the days of King Saul, the Ark of the Covenant had become neglected in Israel. The people no longer sought the Lord. Uh, And so the Ark, which, which really symbolized the presence of God, that wooden box that contained the law of God, that symbolized God's presence and the place of God's mercy, was really something that was not inquired of. And it was something that was ultimately uh, uh, out in the the woods in Ja'ar. It was something that David had to search for ultimately to bring to Jerusalem. But you remember all the trials that David went through just to get the ark into Jerusalem. The first time they brought the ark, there was a great sense of anticipation. But when they brought the ark, they brought it on that cart with the oxen pulling it something that was contrary to God's law, but just something they thought would be appropriate since the Philistines had done something similar. But when the ark was coming along, it tells us that the oxen stumbled and the ark uh, teetered and a man, man named Uzzah reached out to steady the ark. But when he touched it, God ultimately struck him and he died there. A time of joy, ultimately became a time of sorrow and David turned the ark ultimately to go to the house of Obed-Edom, a Gidite. that David was discouraged as a result of the challenges of getting the ark to Jerusalem. When he heard about the blessings that came upon that house, it revived his concern and it tells us that ultimately David and the Levites the second time did it the right way. They used the poles, and they inserted them through the ring holes and they carried the ark as it was commanded by God. And it tells us that the people came in response to that call, that they came in response to that call, let us go to his dwelling place, let us worship at his footstool. The people of Israel responded to that call. And as the ark came into Jerusalem, there was a sense of reverence and joy. It even tells us in Chronicles that David was dressed in fine linen, as were the Levites. They were dressed for the occasion. They were celebrating as they sang with the receiving of the ark, which symbolized God's presence with them. This was the longing of David, to make God's presence central in the life of God's people. But that wasn't the only challenge that David went through. It wasn't just the challenge of messing things up, and then seeing the devastating effects of that. You remember that when they did bring the ark into Jerusalem, how his own wife despised him for doing it. David danced, and she thought, how unbecoming of a man to celebrate like this. How unbecoming of the king of Israel to make such a show over the reception of this ark into Jerusalem. David bore that attitude of despising from his own family for the desires that he had. There were many trials for David in his life, but yet his resolve carried him through. He desired to make a dwelling place for the Lord. As mentioned, you remember that Nathan told him it was not for him to build a dwelling place for the Lord. It would be for his son, Solomon. But you remember, David did not stop. David made all the plans. David covered the costs for that temple to be built. David was singularly prioritizing God. Something that doesn't resonate with the natural heart. Our natural hearts don't have a burden to prioritize God first and foremost in this life. David's desire was that God must be glorified. And that's something even for us who believe to be re-examining in our own selves because we can be people who become lethargic. We can be people that become just careless or passive with respect to the glory of God do we have that desire that God would be recognized in all of life that God's glory would shine through and so here uh, David is someone who uh desired uh, to see the Lord's name glorified he prioritized the Lord over all else Uh, all else he made a an oath to the lord and then he uh, did what was necessary to follow through on that but later when the temple was built at the dedication of the temple solomon made a prayer Uh, it's one of the the great prayers in the old testament uh, scriptures but in that prayer solomon prayed the words essentially of verses eight through ten These are the words that Solomon also used. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Solomon carried through that resolve that, that God's presence would be with his people, And Solomon prayed that the effect would be that the people would be marked by righteousness and by joy. That just as the people were marked by reverence and joy when the ark came into Jerusalem, Solomon desires that the people would now live with reverence and joy, with righteousness and joy, now that God makes his presence known in a special way through the temple through the ark situation in Jerusalem. And so Solomon prayed this prayer that the Lord would make his dwelling with his people. And he made that prayer even as he himself said, the Lord whom even the highest of heavens cannot contain, will he dwell in a temple made by hands? If even the highest of heavens cannot contain him, how much less can this temple? And yet, Solomon says, God comes to dwell with us. And so the oath of David, the desire of David for God to be with his people, is something that we see coming to fruition through the experience of David. The desire to build a temple a temple that was ultimately built, the Ark of the Covenant coming up to Jerusalem and God's presence being made with his people. And so this psalm simply slows us down to remember David's oath. That's how it starts, remember? Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, the afflictions that he bore, that he went through, that he endured. In other words, The things that David went through are in the past. And things in the past can be forgotten. And this psalmist here is appealing to the Lord that what can be forgotten by men and women and by boys and girls, Lord, do not forget. Things that can be forgotten to us Are remembered to the Lord, and therefore they are not in vain. David's desire, his longing, his experiences, his afflictions were not in vain. They were part of the unfolding of God's purposes. And so, even as David himself was to be encouraged, even though he didn't build the temple, his desire was not in vain. And that can be an encouragement to us to realize that all the things that we go through, things that others may forget, things that we might forget, are not forgotten by the Lord. God is a God who remembers, that he stores the tears of his saints in a bottle, and he is a God who will ultimately make things right. So the psalm begins by remembering that David had an oath, an oath that he swore with great intensity, that he was resolved to prioritize the Lord. And he showed that resolve in carrying through all these wishes, that he made the plans, that he covered the cost, that he overcame the challenges and bore the shame that others directed at him. He desired to honor the Lord through it all. But this psalm shifts in the second half, and it transitions to now thinking about the Lord's oath. It sets these two oaths side by side so that we can appreciate the intensity of God's oath. When you think about what David swore, what David resolved to do, it's clear he was passionate. He prioritized the Lord. He overcame the challenges. He was resolved to put the Lord first and to deny himself in the process. But now the psalm shifts and says, the Lord also made an oath. And if we think David's intensity is remarkable, then we should appreciate the oath of God even more. Notice how the psalm goes on uh, in the second half. Uh, It was David's desire to establish a permanent resting place for the Lord. And we see that desire is matched by the Lord's own oath. In verse 13, it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. The Lord was resolved to make it uh, a dwelling with his people, and he will not change his mind. His intention will not be frustrated or denied. David was singularly resolved to bring the ark, uh, to bring uh, the ark to Jerusalem. But we see that singular resolve of God as well. He will do what he has purposed, and his purpose is to make his dwelling in Zion with his people. God will be with his people. David swore an oath to the mighty one of Jacob, to the powerful one. And now the second half of the psalm is really about the oath of the powerful one, the mighty God of Jacob, what he has purposed to do himself. What did the Lord swear? In the second half of the psalm, we can summarize it in two ways. We can say the Lord swore to establish a kingdom forever. And he swore the success of that kingdom. He swore a kingdom that would endure forever. You notice there in verse 12, it says, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. There's the language of forever. Their sons forever shall sit on the throne. Now you may notice at the beginning of the verse, the word if, there's a conditional aspect to that swearing. If your sons uh, keep my covenant, then they will always reign. But you know the story of Israel. You know that the kings of Israel were not faithful. And in general, they became less faithful with time. That the kings were not resolved to honor the Lord's ways. And ultimately, the The kingdom of Israel was conquered. And so there's a conditional aspect here that wasn't met. And yet this swearing of the Lord also has an unconditional aspect. Because when the Lord says this, it says in verse 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. And so in one sense, there was a, a temporal aspect to that covenant As long as your kings are faithful, they will enjoy the land. But there's an unconditional aspect that does not depend on uh, 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 these uh, descendants of David and their uh, faithlessness. There's an unconditional aspect of the covenant. We know that because of what it says in verse 11. The Lord has determined to do what he has promised, which was to give them a place where they would enjoy rest. The Lord promised his steadfast love, which would not depart from the line of David as it did from Saul. You see, the reason why we can trust in God is because God has made promises. He has sworn on oath. We apply that logic to the way that we treat people. If a person is not true to their word, we realize they are untrustworthy. They're unreliable. And it reveals something of their character. God says, you can equate my character with my trustworthiness to my promise. That is the oath that God binds himself to. I will do what I have purposed and I will not turn back. Nothing will frustrate my promise. Nothing will deny its accomplishment. And so the Lord says that this kingdom will endure forever. I will not turn away from David as I did from Saul. The Lord will bring his purposes to pass. He will establish a kingdom that endures forever. But the second aspect of it is is that there will be a king who fulfills all righteousness. Embedded in this promise is the understanding of a state of righteousness, of peace and of rest. The king's purpose was to lead the people in righteousness and to conquer their enemies so that they might enjoy peace and rest. The Lord's oath was established, uh, establishing a kingdom forever, but that promise was still connected with David's offspring. The Lord's pr- uh, purpose ultimately pointed forward to one in particular. Notice that in verse 17. Therefore, I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. My anointed one. For my Messiah. There is one who is set apart for this work. One that will actually fulfill the conditions of the covenant. One who will be faithful to my laws and my testimonies. One who will keep my word. Where others have failed and he will establish righteousness that's what this oath is about there will be a king who is righteous there will be a king who will bring peace there will be a king who brings everlasting joy and notice this is going way beyond solomon because as you read the second half of this psalm It enlarges the expectation. That as the people in Solomon's day were longing that the people would be marked by clothing of righteousness. Notice as the psalm continues, it talks about the clothing of salvation. That they would be marked by God's salvation. That it talks about the abundance of God's blessing in verse 15 I will abundantly bless her provisions, I will satisfy her poor with bread. It enlarges the language. This is my resting place forever. This is something that is enduring. This is something that is satisfying. This is something that is enlarging of God's purposes. Solomon was only a picture of it. But there would be a greater son of David who would bring God's blessings to pass. That is the anointed one. When we read in the prophet Isaiah, it says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place will be glorious. His resting place will be something great. The longing of David was is that God would make his resting place with his people. That he would rest and dwell with Isaiah says when the Messiah come, he will make his resting place will be something wonderful. It'll be something wonderful because it will be the rest of God with his people. It will be something wonderful because he will be taught of the Spirit. And the result will be that he will clothe his people in righteousness himself. The Messiah will bring the fulfillment of God's purposes having been taught by God, and through him, God's dwelling will be made known with his people. Solomon then built the temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon prayed that the Lord would make his dwelling with his people in Jerusalem, that the priests would be clothed with righteousness and with shouts of joy. But all of this is anticipating something greater, an everlasting joy and an everlasting salvation because it's a kingdom that will endure it will not be taken from them because their king continues to reign because their king remains righteous that's what this covenant is about swearing something denotes certainty we take oaths and swear uh, oaths seriously because a person's character is on the line David swore about what he intended to do. The Lord also swore about what he intended to do. The writer of Hebrews touches on this, doesn't he? He talks about how oaths are final for confirmation. Uh, That appealing on oath is a way of uh, trying to stress the certainty of something. I swear to be true. An oath is final. And the writer of Hebrews says... Because God had no one above him, no one higher than him to swear by. He swore by himself to bring these things to pass. Here in this psalm, it is about what God has sworn to do. That he will bring from the sons of David a king. His anointed one who will cause his people to be clothed in righteousness and salvation, to be marked with joy, that they will be abundantly satisfied and they will enjoy an eternal state because their king reigns. That's the promise. And so just as the people of God in the old covenant, they said, remember David and all that he went through. Appealing to what he went through for their own hope. You made a promise to David. David was resolved to honoring you. We live now asking and appealing to God to remember his son. Remember your anointed one. And all that he went through. The promises that you made about him. And that becomes the bedrock of their faith of our faith if we are trusting in jesus we are asking god to be faithful uh, to all that he has sworn notice that forward orientation of the lord's oath again in verse 17 it says there i will make a horn to sprout for david something of a humble beginning something is sprouting something that has a sign of weakness but it sprouts it grows it's a it's a horn And a horn denotes power. A bull with its horns. The horns are the strength of the bull. The power of the bull. And here it says, I will cause a horn to sprout for David. Kingdom is conquered. But from the line of David, from the root of Jesse, a king will come. And he, from humble beginnings... Appearances of weakness will have success. He will triumph and the Lord will make his way a lamp. The Lord will lead him and his way will prosper. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. He will be led uh, in God's ways. Something greater uh, is anticipated here. And it ultimately is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Again, you turn to the New Testament. When Zechariah is enabled to speak in Luke chapter 1, uh, Zechariah himself says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies. What did Zechariah say? A horn has sprouted. Strength has come. Our king is here. The hope of Israel is found in the Lord Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's promise to us. So if we take people's words seriously, If we say a person's integrity is on the line when they swear something, we should take seriously when they swear something. David swore something, and we see his resolve to carry it through. But this psalm, which slows us down as we think about the journey of faith, says, what about God's promise? It was a promise about a kingdom that endured forever. It was about a king who would establish righteousness and bring joy. It was about one who would clothe his people in salvation and abundantly bless her. And we can live trusting in that promise. And we can move forward appealing to God on the basis of what Christ has done for hope. We all want security in life. This psalm teaches us to find our security in the God who swears a sure oath. Not only has the Lord sworn to bless sinners, but he has shown his faithfulness in clothing his people with salvation and with joy. That's what Isaiah 61 was all about. He has turned their mourning into joy. He has clothed them with the robes of righteousness in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your promises, and we pray, Lord, that we would be people who are meditating and taking seriously what our God has said, that we would recognize uh, the failings of the kings of Judah uh, down from the line of David, but that we would recognize the success and the triumph of the anointed one, the Lord Jesus, that he is righteous and that he fulfilled the terms of the covenant himself in order that his people might be blessed and abundantly blessed in him. So, Lord, we pray that we would be people who are able to look forward and find our appeal by asking that you would remember all that the Lord Jesus has passed through, his sufferings, his death, his victory, and his triumph. So we ask that you would go before us And give us confidence and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.